Well, we had three main singles off the album. That was uh, Photograph, 16, and Oh My My. Uh, and I thought Photograph should have been the first one off, and I just learned today that 16 outsold Photograph. Mm -hmm. I heard a whisper well, that you were particularly pleased with this. With 16? Yeah. Oh, it was fantastic because it's just one of those good old rockers that have lasted me through my life. And what also is nice that Harry Nielsen has every other voice on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the track makes it just swings the track. And I also noticed from the sleeve that it said mouth sax solo. Paul oh, McCartney. Uh -huh. Well, that's because we got him drunk at seven in the morning. He'd do anything. Because <laughs> <laughs> if we did the, that part after we did uh, six o'clock in the morning, mm -hmm. and it was six o'clock in the morning. Really? <laughs> Oh yeah, and we all in that same session we did six o'clock, and I tap dance, holding a mic stand, because I was a bit uh, merry at the time, um, on uh, step lightly, because I suddenly sent me driver for a couple of tap shoes, a couple meaning two, because I have two feet, uh, and so I tap dance over that, and then we did the sax. So it just got into a really a nice easy session, you know, yeah. where we just put on a lot of bits. Welcome this week's When There Was Fab. I'm Ed Chan. And I'm Martin Quibell. Well, we got some stuff going on in the Beatle world. Ringo's EP came out on Friday the 13th. Uh, he's wearing an appropriately festive Halloween-y suit trying to scare us all, I guess. He needs to bring out a Halloween-based EP next year. We'll see. Our friends over at the Untitled Beatles podcast remind us that it's funny, Ringo's releasing EPs, but the only format he hasn't put them out in is the... 7-inch EP. He put out 10-inch EPs, but he's not following the actual vinyl trend of, here's what an EP is. How lovely would it be to actually hold one of Ringo's EPs in the old-fashioned classic 7-inch physical format? And it has to have a picture sleeve, one of those cardboard picture sleeves. Would you have it with or without the hole in the middle so that you can put it onto a jukebox? <laughs> Good question. Well, we'll let Ringo decide that. He hasn't gone that far back, but we do indeed get a cassette. Oh, that's nice. If you want it. I've got a few cassettes that I've bought over the last few years as well of things that have come out. I think Lonnie is buying the cassette, although the cassette is much more expensive than it should be. I wouldn't be surprised if Lonnie's bought every variation of the album going. I mean, the EP. Yeah, I don't know about that. Maybe. We're going to talk about the EP later. We've already talked about the title track because it came out a couple of weeks back. But I do want to talk just a bit about Feeling the Sunlight, the McCartney Ringo Star Trek. That's a really nice track. That is a really nice, classic, Paul-written pop song. It reminds you just how good Paul is at coming up with a melody. And how perfect he is at coming up with a melody that suits Ringo as well. It falls somewhere between Little Help From My Friends and Good Day Sunshine? I would say so. It's got the bright, happy, Good Day Sunshine vibe to it with that really great, with a little help from my friends, vibe of, of melody to it. Yeah. Don't 
Reno's voice fits it perfectly. He actually tunes down, but does not completely eliminate the auto-tune on this track. That may be at Paul's request. Maybe. You never know. This kind of resembles a track that we're going to be talking about later in this show on the Ringo album, in that Paul more or less did everything before he handed it off to Ringo. Well, yes, but then we are talking about Paul. <laughs> I like Ringo's comment. The bloody demo showed up, and Paul had put drums on it already. All right. Nice. Ringo had to go back and take off the drum track and put his own drums on it. Well, as it should be. This is one of a couple of Paul and Ringo tracks we're getting. The Dolly Parton Let It Be, which we've already got, and that has Paul and Ringo together on it. And sometime soon, we're hearing an announcement in the next 10 days again with a release in late November, early December. So they're leaving almost no time between announcement and release for now and then. Yep, it's not come out now, but it will come out then. Otherwise, Ringo has just finished up his tour by the time you get this. His final show was in Thackerville, Oklahoma, right on the border of Oklahoma and Texas. None of us went to it. The whole town is nothing but a giant casino. You can gamble in Oklahoma, you can't gamble in Texas, so... From Texas, you either go to Oklahoma or you go to Louisiana to gamble. Okay. Ask Ed. He's the expert. Johnstone is on the way. And before Mexico City came up, Lonnie and I were considering going by there, picking John up and doing a fun Ringo show, but that didn't come to pass. Wow. That would have been fantastic. (laughs) When I eventually do my road trip of America, I'll work that around so we can have a live in-person, all four of us, fab. The tour, I would say, has been successful. Everybody's happy with the results, and Ringo has looked good. I mean, we talked about that last time. He's got a lot of vigor. He's very lively. He's Ringo Starr. He is. He's the greatest. And you better believe it. That was last week. Oh, oh well. But he does play it in the show, so... Is he only 32? The line now is... Sir Macca is also out on the road right now. Uh, he is just started his tour in Australia. First couple of shows have happened by the time you get this. We've gotten a couple of his rehearsals from the day before from where we are. Paul sounds about like he did on the last tour. You know, not prime McCartney, but certainly not bad at all. Spellbinding, captivating, better than ever. Just some of the rave reviews flooding in for Paul McCartney after his sellout Adelaide show. For many in the crowd, it was a night filled with nostalgia, a chance to relive old memories and make some incredible new ones. A banging throwback to start the show on the right note. That song, released in 1964, the year the Beatles first came to Adelaide, Sir Paul still rocking more than 60 years on. Good evening, Adelaide. It's just so great to be back here. In 1964, I saw them, and they were exceptional then, but tonight's concert was unbelievably perfect. A lucky 8,000 fans treated to hit after mega hit. The excitement too much for some. Others will never forget it. 
pyrotechnics and laser lights, heralding the spectacular final act. Amazing experience. I think I saw God. And the buzz continues today. Fans camped outside his accommodation here in the hills for a third day now, hoping today will be the day they say hello goodbye to the music legend. Among the super fans, 15-year-old Stella, hoping to deliver a very special letter. It's just telling him how much I love him and great, how grateful I am for him. Sir Paul heads to the East Coast next, leaving behind memories that will last a lifetime. Samantha Hogan, Nine News. I think the more relaxed touring is probably doing his vocal cords a lot of good. Myself and Lonnie are very much looking forward to seeing him again in what for you is just going to be a couple weeks. Wow. Where are you going to see him? Do I have to say Mexico City again? Haven't I said it enough in the show? Well, you might be in the backseat of a car on your way there. We're not strolling down the highway. So that is what's going on Beatle-wise. Hopefully next time we chat, we will know what is going to be the release date for now and then. Let's hope so. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, we move on to side two of Ringo Starr's 1973 album, Ringo. And if you're wondering why we're doing it now, it's a tad bit early, but the release date is actually really pretty close to when these shows are coming out. It came out in the U.S. on November 2nd and in the U.K. on November the 9th. Of 1970... 1973. So the 50th anniversary will be on the table when you are getting this. And I suggest that everybody gets it out on that day and has a listen. Despite the fact that we're not getting a box set. But we talked about that last time as well. We did. All right, so we start side two. It starts off with a bang. Ringo and Vinnie Poncia's Oh My My. With some superb piano playing from Billy Preston. Listening to it again, this is kind of the better version of Snookeroo. Yep. Apologies to any Elton John fans about saying that because he wrote Snookeroo. That's the other show. We don't apologize on this show. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it's a really good song. It is a really good song and a great songwriting team, the two of them together, Ringo and Vinny. Well, tell us a little bit about Vinny Ponte. I mean, as we know, Vinny would be a co-writer of Ringo's for... At least the next three or four years. Vinny started off as part of a songwriting team with somebody named Peter Anders. We grew up in Providence, Rhode Island. Peter Anders, or Peter Andrew, we had this group called the Vidells. This was like in the late 50s and so. And uh, we had a local record out that we put out. And it did pretty well, actually. went to number one in Providence, mainly because my whole families would call in and request it and they would go buy it. You know, I sold like about 5,000 copies locally. So we were excited about that. So we had a connection with this uh, friend of my family's lucky call in New York City who was at Southern Music. They had Buddy Holly and a lot of other people. So we hooked up with him in New York and we got our first... uh, recording contract with Joe Sherman and JDS label who used to produce Paul Anker and Connie Francis and he was a great songwriter he wrote Graduation Day him and his brother Joel and Noel Sherman Graduation Day I have to tell you a funny story about after we had our first local record out we had we were doing some other things. I was in the show band working at the Copa, like a lounge band, and Peter was doing some other stuff. But we got together. He went to New York, and he stayed at the Forest Hotel. So he stayed at the Forest Hotel, and in the lobby all night hanging around were different musicians and publishers, and there was hanging around the lobby. He used to live there during the week was a man named Doc Palmas. The Anders and Pontier album which was released in 1969, was produced by somebody who's very important to the Ringo album. And that is? Richard Perry, the producer of the Ringo album. It was Richard Perry who bought 
Vinny into Ringo's circles, didn't he? Richard Perry already had knowledge of him, and he was sort of known because Vinny's songs had been recorded by people who included the Renettes, Darlene, Love, and um, they, they were also members of a group called the Trade Winds as well, who hit the charts a couple of times. Another one of those things that came out of Toppermost of the Poppermost that apply to this album. Go listen to our last show if you want to know some others that did, although we'll, we, will, we will mention some of them yet again. The Trade Winds debut single, for instance, New York is a Lonely Town, that reached number 32 on the Billboard Hot 165. We'll get to that in Toppermost in ooh, about two years. This is the sort of song that was very much in Ringo's wheelhouse. Why do you think Ringo credited himself under his real name, Richard Starkey? I don't know, but then again, on the Beatles songs that he wrote or co-wrote, he also credited himself as the writer as Starkey as well. As Ringo reminds us in his live show, there is only one Lennon-McCartney-Starkey song, so I guess you're right. I know that on the the White Album... Don't Pass Me By. That's credited on the White Album as Starkey, and so is Octopus's Garden is credited as written by Starkey. So maybe that's just the way Ringo liked to credit it. Okay. This would be the beginning of a long, long and really fruitful songwriting partnership with Vinny as well, because they'd worked together on this and then the following four albums. And I would read the credits, but I'd listen to this music. They were storybooks of our lives. So then here I am. I'm going to show you an example how Stefan would do it. He'd listen to these records like this and open up the gatefold, look, look at the stars. And then I'm looking... And I and I love songs like on Ringo Stars, this Ringo Star record, which is a great right. album cover. And then you go into like All My Mind, you go, God, what a great song. And you go, Jim Kelton is on it, Billy Preston, Klaus Vormann's playing bass, right? Then you go, Vinny Pond's here, R. Starkey wrote the song. Ooh. Then again, I go, Devil Woman, the same thing. Ringo's playing drum, Jim Kelton, Klaus Vormann, all these incredible people. Tom Scott's on the horns, Richard Starkey. Then it goes V. Poncia. And it's right here for you people. Yeah, that's, that's, right. Yeah. And then you make me feel like dancing. But Vinny would go on to work years later with right Melissa Manchester. He produced and wrote for Linda Carter's nineteen seventy eight album Portrait. So he's a great singer as well as a wonder of a woman as well, for anybody interested. Martha Reeves, Jackie DeShannon, Tommy James, all people who we mention on top of most. And he co-wrote, just to irritate Tom Unyardi, possibly, Vinny would also work with the band Kiss. I happen to be a fan of the song, was it, I Was Made For Loving You, which is not popular with Kiss fans, because they call it the disco era, but I quite like a lot of that stuff that he did there. Yeah, there are lots of odd Kiss relationships to the Beatles, sort of tangential ones at least. My favourite is that... Fake Paul McCartney was actually part of the backing band for Kiss for quite a while. Right. Was he the one who played the bass when Gene didn't? Correct. Mitch Weissman, if you're wondering who we're talking about. Among other songs with Leo Siri co-wrote. The wonderful Vinnie Pontia. The man has worked with legends from Ronette to Kiss. So 
so the musicians on this record, as you mentioned, Billy Preston plays the keyboards. Ringo and Jim Kelton are doing the double drumming. Which sounds great. Klaus is playing the bass. Tom Scott is playing the sax solo, which reminds me a little bit of the Whatever Gets You Through the Night sax solo, just a little bit. A little bit. The other recognizable names on here are the two backing singers. And listening to it through headphones, another reason I want a 5.1 or atmost mix of this. You can hear them chattering along behind there. It's clearly intentional, but you can't quite make out what they're saying. That is Mary Clayton and the one and only Martha Reeves. Martha Reeves. If anybody's interested, Mary Clayton is that female vocal on Gimme Shelter by Rolling Stones. Uh, Which we also spoke of in the first half of this show, the Stones-Ringo connections. Yes, we did. But uh, Martha Reeves, wow. Two classic singers there. Oh My My was released as a single and did quite well. Do we know the numbers? Oh My My peaked at number five on the Billboard Hot 100, number three in Canada, and number 24 on the Billboard Adult Contemporary chart. One great cover of the song I want to mention, Bette Midler did a live version of Oh My My, kind of as a medley with friends, and she sounds like she's on speed when she's doing it, but it's really great. Do you know what era that's from? Like 76, 77? A little bit later than, than Ringo's, but not too much later. Her musical arranger at that point was Barry Manilow. You start off side two with a banger, as Kit likes to call them. Yep. Shout out to Kate. <laughs> tremendous song, tremendous side opener. Then we go on to Step Lightly, yet another Starkey original. Yep, completely written by him. Nobody else co-wrote it with him. And Ringo liked it so much, he would re-record it for Ringo 2012. I don't remember the re-record. This is the better version. That's probably why. country in his vocal this is more a country tinged song than actually a country song this is much more of a straightforward pop song i think yeah although he's got a nice twang to the guitar on this that's steve cropper isn't it step lightly you move the other thing that it kind of reminds me of, you can hear the Harry influence a lot. It's almost got a little bit, which is like the courtship of Eddie's father theme. I hadn't thought about that now, but now I can hear that. Step lightly. Things will work out fine. 
particularly the, the people, let me tell you about my best friend. That is kind of something that Ringo clearly listened to and said, I'll have that, <laughs> to, yeah. to quote Scylla. Yeah. Inspired, not ripped off. The tune itself, like it a lot. There's one really kind of cool thing that he does with his singing there at the very end. It's also something that Paul McCartney likes to do a lot. When you repeat a line in most pop songs, you just kind of sing it exactly the same way with exactly the same melody and rhythm underneath. Not here. The second and the third time each differ a little bit. I like the one where he elongates it, where it's sort of like you're going to find yourself a love to last. You gotta find yourself a That's slightly changed as well. And that is Ringo doing the tapping on there. Actual tap shoes as well, by the way. He ordered tap shoes to do it with. I don't know how good of a tap dancer Ringo is, but he sounds good. Yes, he sounds good. Whereas most of us would probably just put a couple of thimbles on the ends of our fingers and tap. This is probably the least of the side two songs. Either this or Devil Woman are the two that are going to be uncertain let's say that might be skipped along the way if you're not a hardcore Ringo Starr fan I don't skip any song on this <laughs> but you're not going to skip the next one the next one is six o'clock by Paul and Linda McCartney kind of like the new McCartney Ringo collaboration Ringo just called Paul up and said hey can you write a song for me and Paul said sure and that's where this song came from. Six O'Clock, recorded mainly at Apple Studios in April of 1973. There's also a long, extended coda version of this, which you can find on Ringo's subsequent CDs. Do you like the original long version, or do you prefer this a minute and 20 less? I don't think it needs the full minute 20. It goes on a little bit long, but I do prefer having some of that in there. Yeah. If they cut it at 30 or 40 seconds, uh, that would be my preferred version, I think. Would you say do that and still have a fade out? Yeah. If we're to choose between the two versions, I will go with the extended fade version because I do want a little bit more than we actually get on the album. Was this written specifically for Ringo then, or do you think it was a song that they'd written but just didn't fit on Red Rose Speedway? No, I think it was definitely written for Ringo. The way I heard the story was that Ringo actually called him up. Okay. They weren't FaceTiming at that point in time. The The story now is apparently that Paul and Ringo FaceTime every other week, which is sweet. It is. It's great. What I would guess is Ringo certainly wanted a Paul contribution after he gotten George and John to contribute. You know, maybe he asked Richard Perry, since Richard Perry was planning to work with Paul. Okay, so that had already been arranged for, for, for Richard Perry to work on the James Paul McCartney special. Exactly. So so my guess is that he probably called up, he being either Ringo or Richard Perry, just kind of called up Paul and said, you know, can you give us a song, Paul? Yeah, I think they're on talking terms at the time, so I wouldn't be surprised if it was Ringo. When weren't Ringo and Paul on talking terms? You Maybe a little bit after Back Off Boogaloo, there might have been some hard feelings, but that's about it. Well, Ringo gets on with everyone. So this is credited as a Paul and Linda McCartney contribution, and it sounds a little bit like Wings. Actually, what it kind of reminds me of is the McGear album. Yeah, it does. I wonder what Linda's input in this song could have been i mean i've heard various things in some songs like you know live and let die she wrote the reggae middle eight for instance so she could have written the middle eight in this i don't know hello alan cozen there's nothing that i would actually say came from linda maybe some of the lyrics maybe maybe as to whether she actually wrote any of the tune, possibly, although there's nothing which shouts out at me as saying, hey, this is a Linda contribution. The descending progression in the, the bridge would probably suggest to me that that's a Paul progression. 
Oh, and the other reason that Ringo was there recording in the UK was that'll be the day premiered right around then. Yeah, and that'll be the day is a superb film. Probably one of Ringo's standout roles. We do need to do another show on the films of Ringo Starr. Unfortunately, most of them aren't very good other than that'll be the day in Caveman. I'll have to search out Princess Daisy. Whatever you do, don't go looking for the Mae West film, Sextet. Man, is that awful. Oh, And not only does it feature Ringo, it features Timothy Dalton. Wow, Jimmy Bond. <laughs> exactly. You got Ringo and a future James Bond in what would end up being one of Mae West's final films. She probably died from shock of the film by the sound of it. <laughs> well, she was in her 80s at that point doing the same old act. Why don't yes. you come up and see me sometimes? Like, no, thank you. No. The other thing about six o'clock, you got the Moog in there. That's Paul as well, isn't it? Is he playing the Moog and the piano? I think so. And that's one of the things about being there in London. The Moog was easily accessible. Did Linda use the Moog on Band on the Run as well? I think she had gone to a mini Moog by that point. Mini Moog at that point, yeah. I think this is the full-fledged Moog that he's using here. It wouldn't be the same Moog that was used on Abbey Road, though, would it? Because that was George's. John Stone thinks it sounds a lot like what they do on Maxwell Silver Hammer, which it kind of does. They're both Moogs, aren't they? So Yeah, there's only yep. so much you can do with the Moog. Not now there isn't, but there was then. <laughs> I've played a modern version of a Moog. The next track, yet another Starkey Poncia track, Devil Woman. It's kind of a average song, particularly for this record. It's got quite a good electric guitar riff, though, hasn't it? A bit of a rock riff going on there. Yes. I think this kind of sounds like, let's fill out the record. You know, they've got a song of all these different styles. They need to put a rock song in there, don't they? You know, on the B side as well as the A side. Yeah, this really could have used Mark Bolt. Now you're talking. That would be a great idea, that would. Ringo's vocals are good. It's good enough. It's just kind of a slightly weaker track, I would say. Yeah. Wow. You you know, you've, you've... I'm sorry, I'm still thinking about the idea of if Mark Boland had played on this. <laughs> well, unfortunately, that didn't happen. Maybe we'll find an outtake somewhere. That would be great. If he was still alive, they'd have probably had Jimi Hendrix on it. <laughs> Again, going back to Paul and his brother, they loved to get Hendrix wherever they could. Yes, they did. All right, so the record closes out with a... George Harrison, Mal Evans composition. Again, we need not remind you that the Mal Evans book will be winging your way very soon. It will be in stores on November the 14th. I can't wait. And I love this song. And it is covered in depth in that book. I can say that without spoiling anything. And we are planning to have Dr. Womack with us to talk about living the Beatles legend. Wow, that'll be a great chat. So the song was conceived as an end of show song. So, you know, it is very much in that mode. It's such a relaxed song as well. You can hear it's just Ringo being naturally him and almost carefree and just going with it. And he's got that sort of easygoing style to the vocal. And the arrangement is by Jack Nishi, the other song that Nishi arranges for this record. Go listen to Toppermost if you want to know more about Jack Nishi than you probably do. A really good rabbit hole to go down. We will leave it here as saying that he was Phil Spector's right-hand man, and he went on to do lots and lots of things throughout the 60s. Not just this record, he was responsible for a lot of the Birds records and the Beach Boys and... Lots of things that you might not expect that someone like Jack Nishi would have been involved in, especially if you don't know who Jack Nishi is. Was it you or Kit who said that he was the uh, Forrest Gump of the music world? That was me. The Forrest Gump of rock and roll is what I called Jack Nishi. Yep. 
Absolutely. So on this track, you got a, a solo from George. Yeah. Uh, you got Nicky Hopkins and you got Klaus Warman, Tom Scott once again. This is a fun song. It is. Oh, it's got Vinny on it as well. I love the credit. Milt Holland, Marimba. Yes. That was an overdub which was played over the basic track. It ends with Ringo saying goodnight to everybody and mentioning everybody that had been on the record. Well, it's the end of the night. I'd just like to say thank you to everyone involved in this piece of plastic we're making. Good old Jim Calfer, Klaus Borman, Nicky Hopkins, George Harrison, John Lennon, Paul McCartney, Richard Perry for producing this masterpiece, Bill Schnee, ever smiling, ever welcome, Billy Ponsadero, all his other friends <laughs> and everyone else who joined in and helped us on this wonderful record. So it's a big good night from your friend and mine, Ringo Starr. This is kind of a close to the "it's like a live show" thing. Yep, but um, I like I like that he that he calls everybody out at the end of this. Would that have just been done at the same time as the normal vocal for the lyrics for the song itself, or do you think that sign out with all the names of the people? Do you think that might have been recorded post that with George not around? It might have been an overdub, but I could also see it being recorded as part of the just regular vocal track. And I would also guess that maybe it went on a little longer and they just cut it back. Yeah, because it does fade out. So it was purposely written for being the last song. So yeah, he would have done the, the sign out with everybody, wouldn't he? I would have thought they'd know that this was the last song. It was always intended to be the end of the record. Until we get to CD where we get a couple more tracks that we're also going to talk about. Cool. It's, it's the modern age. You got to love the way Ringo just ends the song. They turned out the lights. Are we reaching the end? So it's off we go. And then he closes with a farewell to your friend and mine, Ringo Starr. It does sort of bring things full circle. If you listen to part one, side one, the whole reason that Ringo came to do this record was that he was flying to Los Angeles for the Grammys to hopefully accept the album the concert for bangladesh did indeed win so ringo went up there and accepted and in his thank yous he talks about all the people who worked so hard to make this record come true and he includes ringo star in there wow <laughs> so like it kind of brings this whole thing full circle roll the clip of him saying that i'd just like to say that i'm picking this up on behalf of everyone who was at the concert and everyone who put in the time, especially George Harrison, Phil Spector, Ringo Starr, Billy Preston, Ravi Shankar, Klaus Vormann, Eric Clapton, Bob Dylan, Leon Russell, Badfinger, and for Apple for getting it together. What a float. All the best. Thank you. That's inside one. Of course. Well, okay. I guess we can include just that little bit. It'll be a callback. The other thing that came out with this record was a book with art by your friend and mine, Klaus Vormann. Beautiful artwork. This was kind of before we really knew Klaus's style. We've seen the Revolver cover, and it's not really like the Revolver cover, but it is like some of the things that Klaus would do later, particularly like those Hamburg portraits that Klaus would do. I've always wondered if some of the pictures that John drew, if he was ever influenced or inspired by Klaus's artwork. I could see that, but I could also see Klaus having been inspired by Stu Sutcliffe. Oh, most definitely. So, you know, Stu would inspire both Klaus and John in their art. So, okay, yeah, yeah they're both going to have some similarities. If you get the record, which is yet another reason we want a box set, you get a full-size copy of the booklet with really nice full 12 by 12 artwork. Beautiful artwork. And then when they did the reissue as well, the, uh, the artwork as well for that. You get a tiny cd booklet sized copy in the 1991 cd but that's not nearly so nice 
The one illustration I particularly want to bring up is the Step Lightly illustration. He's got Ringo with a cigar in his hand, with a cane, and he's actually wearing the tap shoes. So I love that. I do as well. I love that. I'm picturing Ringo in the studio just like that. The rest of them vary from odd and slightly abstract to, you know, pretty much straightforward. The Devil Woman looks like one of those aliens that you would see in... 60s sci-fi films when i see that the devil woman it reminds me of the artwork of geiger who all the alien from the alien films was designed by and then the you and me babe is very sweet it's ringo leaning over the stage with his drumsticks behind his back and holding out his hand to what looks like a little kid climbing up on the stage it's very very nice that is lovely it's beautiful and then the vinyl and the cd both feature a star in the middle, although on the vinyl, you actually see Ringo's image inside the star. You don't get that on the CD. On to the bonus tracks. We got three bonus tracks from the CD version of this record, released in 1991. We start with what is certainly one of the biggest hits. We've talked a little bit about it. It Don't Come Easy. From 1970. It was began on the 18th of February, 1970. I mentioned back on side one that I kind of thought that this may have been George and Ringo doing a, oh, you know, there'll be a new Beatles project in the new year sometime. Let's have something ready for when John and Paul get their act together again. It's George and Ringo essentially doing It Don't Come Easy while Paul and John were doing ballad of john and yoko exactly that's what i'm kind of saying is that they can do a track and call it the beatles without us we can do a track and maybe call it the beatles without them yep exactly steven stills played on the track on piano yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. on bass and piano the late gary wright provided some additional piano overdubs okay right and mal evans once again he's playing some tambourine there Good old Mal. Dependable. And then they sat on it for six months. They were recording on it through March, and then they came back to it in October. It wouldn't have worked with Sentimental Journey, which was the album at that point from Ringo. I know they can do separate singles, but it wouldn't have been promotion for that, would it? It wouldn't have worked. But then it also wouldn't fit with the follow-up the same year, Boca Blues. Ringo was working both with John on Plastic Ono Band and George on finishing up All Things Must Pass right at that same period in time. Maybe at this point it's like, okay, there's not going to be another Beatles project this year. Let's just finish this up as a single and put it out. Yeah, that could be right. Because like you said, they started it in February and they were still doing some bits together to clean up the Let It Be album as it would be at that point. Um, so yeah, it might have looked like they were still possibly going to work together as the Beatles. And then finally, February of 1971, Jim Keltner says he came along and played some maracas. So actually, it just waited there for over a year, not six months, but over for over a year. Yep. From the first recording to the last recording was from 18th of February 1970 to some unspecified time in February 1971. Wow, that is a long time. So it was finally released in April of 71, and it would become... One of the highlights of the concert for Bangladesh. Would that have been relatively fresh then when the concert for Bangladesh was happening? April to the fall, enough so that Ringo didn't know the words at the concert for Bangladesh. By the concert for Bangladesh, he'd probably put his vocals down 18 months before. That does serve to bring it all full circle because, as we just said, Concert for Bangladesh and the Grammy for the Concert for Bangladesh were the reason that the Ringo album happened. Right. So it's important then. So the next bonus track was the flip to it, Don't Come Easy, and a song that anyone who's a Beatles guy or girl has to love, early 1970. Yes. Do you think this is a starky solo composition? You could say it for the one before as well. Or do you think George helped out with well, this? Well, it, it don't come easy. We know that George played a big role. Uh, I would say that probably 
one or more of the others gave him a little melodic help. The lyrics are all are nothing but pure Ringo, though. Oh, yes. And I love the fact the working title of this was Four Nights in Moscow, particularly since Codename Russia and all that that we get in the Get Back film. <laughs> Michael Lindsay Hogg wanting to give them code names for no apparent reason. I don't see where Four Nights in Moscow would fit with this song. Ringo's code name was Russia, so... Yeah, that's true. It has to be so, something that came from that. Was it, was it recorded in early 1970? Uh, I don't know when it was recorded. Here we go. Star taped the basic track for the song at EMI Studios, which would become Abbey Road Studios, on the 3rd of October 1970. So it's not early 1970, it's late 1970. Yeah, it's a bit of a misnomer, really, with that title. <laughs> Once again, Klaus Warman was there. Well, it would be because it was during a break in the sessions for the Plastic Ono Band. Yeah. This was during the second set of It Don't Come Easy recordings, it looks like. Is this the Plastic Ono Band with George replacing John? That does sound accurate. I guess that's Klaus playing that little bass riff. The little tiny bass solo. I don't play bass because that's too hard for me. I don't play bass because that's too hard for me. On these details here, it says that it's Ringo doing that, but he, he says it's that's too hard for me. I'm pretty certain that that's Klaus on a double, on a stand-up bass. Now, it is Ringo playing the dobro, and, and as I've mentioned, the whole resonator sound off the dobro is just one of my favorite guitar sounds, period. Well, you know me and dobros, I'm always playing mine. That's my go-to guitar. They apparently asked Paul McCartney to participate in the recording session although it was klein that asked paul mccartney to collaborate if ringo had done it maybe paul might have agreed to come and join in yes that is one thing we did learn out of the first volume of alan cozen's book the surest way to drive paul mccartney away is to bring up the name alan klein or to get alan to do it for them oh alan can you just ring paul no i'm not doing that <laughs> Tremendous song, a lot of fun. It's probably as joyous as it can be in the wake of the breakup of the Beatles. It's slightly melancholy, but just slightly. It is, but you can see through Ringo's very honest lyrics, he gets on with everybody. And you can see that in the way that he talks about each member of the Beatles in the song. And when I go to town, I want to see all three. There you go. All right. The last bonus song on the CD is Down and Out, another song featuring Gary Wright. I like Gary Wright's piano on this. Uh, it's a little bit of a downbeat song. Just a little bit. Just a bit. I do like the song, and I love Klaus's drawing that goes with this. It's a nice little tune. It's nothing too, too special, but it's a George Harrison tune. Okay, it's a Ringo Starr-credited tune, but this is clearly one that I would say George helped him write the melody. I think it's good. It was, um, oh, what was it, the B-side on it was a B-side of Photograph. Yep, it was. And it was recorded back when they first started trying to do Photograph. Right. You know, late 71, early 72. Did they have this on the boat with Scylla Black? And Scylla didn't want this song. No, we don't know that, but I could see that. <laughs> it's just no one wants to remember that this song was also there. Oh, I could picture Scylla doing this. What, what was she thinking? <laughs> I can, too, actually, but that is all just a supposition. We have no proof of that. What we need now is for somebody with AI technology to AI Scylla Black doing this. Yeah, unfortunately, Scylla sounds nothing like Ringo. An AI Scylla over Ringo's vocal would not be very good. No. Shout back to the Beatles backing her for uh, summertime. <laughs> yes, that would definitely be in the wrong key. Yes. All right. And for our final mention of why we want a box set, Paul McCartney is not the only one who backed 
an instrumental version of an entire album. No, this is news to me, and I'm a fan of this person that you're about to talk about as well. Upon the decline of Apple Records, we know that George Harrison went off and formed Dark Horse, and Ringo decided to do the same thing, although it didn't last very long, and formed Ring-O Records. Ring-O Records. We won't mention some of the other things, well... Sure, I'll mention it. Ringo recently sued a uh, adult pleasure product maker because they were trying to sell it as the Ring Dash O. Ring O, dear. Exactly. Mm. So it's like he can definitely claim that he had the trademark first. Yep, by a number of years, nearly 50. I believe they did actually manage to come to a settlement on that, but. We will leave that for you to look up for yourself. So the gentleman in question was an English recording engineer, film composer, and music producer who engineered on All Things Must Pass, Elton John's Yellow Brick Road, and worked with Genesis, Tony Banks, Queen, Nazareth, Marty Webb, Andy Summers, Mike Oldfield, Renaissance, Peter Hamill, Ronnie Carl, and Ringo Starr. Yes, David Enschel. Yeah, exactly. So at this point, he was an arranger, and he was a pretty m- big personality within the rock and roll circles, you know, the Beatles rock and roll circle. Okay. So Rocket Man and Funeral for a Friend had were both out by this point. That's right. Is that correct? Yeah, because that was uh, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, which was 1972. Was so it was just before Ringo. Yeah. So Ringo decided to do a Paul. Uh, he signed up David Henschel to his record label and basically let him go wild. It's like, do a cover of my album. Yes, an entire cover of the Ringo album. The name of this record is Startling Music. It was unavailable for the longest time. As as I was telling you before, my copy of this was something that came from tape trades back in the day. Yes, the good old days of tape trades. When you had pen pals and the early, early version of Facebook, you you actually had to wait four days for your letter to get there. It's like, oh, well, you have this. I have that. Let's trade. So tapes would go through the mail. I'll just pop it inside a, a, a padded envelope and it'll be with you in about three or four days. Yeah, exactly. And so David Henschel went off and recorded an entire cover of the Ringo album called Startling Music. It's an, an interesting record for sure. My first impression of it is this really brings out the melodies in a mm. way that kind of the original doesn't the original is you know a Ringo Starr record this is bringing forth the melodies of these songs playing on the album is beautiful and the tones that he's using to bring out those melodies like you said they really bring it to life and before we continue phil collins is playing the drums on this record uh david cole also plays some of the drums ringo contributes finger clicks finger clicks which which is kind of amusing so Phil Collins is on drums and Ringo is on finger clicking. Exactly. He has rearranged the order of the tracks. You know, we're not going to talk about the whole record, but what I will say is it's in a bunch of different styles, although in a lot of ways it is very much the precursor of the disco era. And I don't mean that in a negative way. No, but the precursor of disco by... Probably two or three years. Maybe not that much. Probably closer to a year, but still. How long after the original album was that recorded then? Well, it was released in 75. So I would say probably they would start recording it within the year. So it was ready by 75. Okay. I don't actually have any recording dates. And as far as I know, this album has never been released on CD. Much like Paul did with the Ram Deluxe when he had that 
version of the Ram album on there that was the orchestrated version. Burlington. When he had that there as an extra. This would be a great extra on a expanded issue of Ringo. Oh my my. What that reminds me of is you remember that disco version of the Star Wars theme? I do very much. It's very much in that same vein. So, you know, if this had come out a year later, I could very much have seen the cover of Oh My My being that kind of hit. And that was a big hit. Granted, Star Wars Mania was happening at that point in time, but that still, people were into the disco thing, and that was just right for the time. And this is very much like that in a lot of ways. We talked about Bette Midler. Bette Midler goes all hyper on it this is it's a little bit laid back and and with the sense the way they are it's kind of like that star wars theme he's got a very disco feel to it but not quite to the degree of giorgio moroda no no and then the other one which kind of feels a lot disco to me again not in a bad way i can very much see the bgs singing over the version of i'm the greatest you know, it's got yep. that kind of backing to it and even that kind of beat to it. It's another one of those songs where you could use the beat to be able to do CPR on people. Another reason I'd like to see this come back, this would be a great record for anybody to sample from. Oh, yes, absolutely. There's all sorts of really cool things that somebody could sample from and make something new and interesting out of. Wow. Did you have any of the covers you wanted to mention? I've only listened to it today for the first time. So I'd never heard of it before today, but I did really enjoy listening to it. There's kind of this weird intro to Photograph, which is this giant theatrical theme. I do like the drumming. I think 
at some points you can tell that it's Phil playing the drums. This is another one which reminds me of some of the things we've had on Toppermost, the big bombast of the movie themes that was so common in the early 1960s. He brings that sort of feel to, I guess it's like a, a 60 or 90 second intro to Photograph. But but then again, I think the whole album, from from just listening to it the once, I, th- I think it's all got that sort of like like a large scope because of all the atmospherics of all the synthesizers there, along with all the other instrumentation. I think it's got that sort of big feel to it anyway. I think it does, but he is definitely trying to ape some particular styles of music. The way it kind of goes from this big intro. Well, like you're 16, there, you know, it fades out and fades back in, and the two pieces are in completely different styles. The first half is a synth thing, and then the second half is no synth at all, almost. going all prog there then as much as a predecessor of disco this is very much as you would expect from someone who worked with genesis a predecessor of prog and it's a forgotten album does this predate his first producer credit with with genesis uh yeah Yeah, he didn't start working with genesis until 1976 that's correct with the trick of the tail yep so he'd do Trick of the Tail, Wind and Mothering, and then there were three, and then he his last album with them would be Duke. Duke, yeah. Yep. So anyway, it's a great record, and it wasn't on YouTube for the longest time, but someone has kindly made the entire record available on YouTube. It's about 40 minutes. It's very much worth a listen, particularly if you've never listened to it. And after seeing Ringo live, after seeing the All-Star Band, you can see where he developed his love for the kind of thing that Edgar Winter does, because a lot of that is the same kind of synthy stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Frankenstein sounds a lot like some of the things that David Henschel would do. All right, so that is Ringo side two. You got anything to say as we close out this show, Martin? I think it's a great album. It deserves its place where a lot of people put the album as being Ringo's best to a lot of people. I think, you know, it's, it's between this and, I've said before, between this and Time Takes Time. Uh, but what what do you think of the album as a whole? There's a couple of slightly weaker tracks, but even the weaker tracks, you know, Devil Woman, it's they're still really good tracks. Ringo sings well, and his drumming is tremendous on this record you know as he said in early 1970 he very much enjoys playing with his mates the the former fabs and he's having a good time here and he wasn't too sloshed yet you know he was he was enjoying partying but he was able to keep the partying to after he finished his work at this point in time but at the same time, I think this album um, works as well because of not just having those mates with him, the former Fabs, but all of those other mates with him, like you know the members of the band and then Mark Boland there and and all these other people there that are like in his friendship and Harry's on there as well, Harry Nilsson and you know I think that is almost like almost pushes Ringo to producing this album that is like this and it's got so much going on there is because he's there with friends recording these songs and it adds it possibly adds a bit of of a fun element there to him so that he's creating a good album through the good atmosphere and it was new and it, it was fresh his relationship with richard perry so you know that had to help as well that would sour a little bit as uh, time went on but you know it maybe it just wasn't a relationship meant to last is Richard the producer on the follow-up album in Goodnight Vienna? I do believe so, yes. He's doing a similar thing there where he's got all of his friends coming in and 
providing songs and backing him up and that as well. That would get to be the formula. And I mean, as we said on side one, it's kind of the same formula he's following to this day. Well, there's a Paul McCartney song on his new EP. So, and nowadays his brother-in-law is always around to lend some guitar work since, well, George is no longer with us, nor is Mark Mullen for that matter. You could do a lot worse than having Joe Walsh on there to do the guitar for you. For sure, for sure. So, all right, this is a very good record, and it's not just very good for a Ringo Starr record. It is a very good record, period. Absolutely, yeah. And one more. Where's the box set, fellas? All right, thanks, everybody. We'll be back next week with a new show. Take care. Subscribe to When They Was Fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group, and we could be reached at When They Was Fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim, Beaster Famine Studios, San Francisco, California. just add the fact that the album comes complete with this superb booklet including these uh, etchings are they by uh, yeah. lithographs lithographs thank you, thank you. we're too talented this way yes yeah, too talented for words the greatest bass player in the world uh, great drawer <laughs> uh, sculptor anything you want to mention what were you telling me you made a chess set for you well well i designed the chess set with hands but i can't get the models together so he did the hands you know he modeled them and also in the studio i'm building um all the doors are going to have hands so you shake the hands to open the door which he did the model for he's anything you mention he can do it you know look you get <laughs> i tell you one thing there's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals but they got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people, but they're, they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going. Turned up nice again.